Fangory has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. This gorgeous magazine is highly collectible and delivered right to your door four times a year. Each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking, past, present, and future, with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including, from time to time, your intrepid King Cass hosts. This high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, and you damn well should, you'll need to subscribe. None of this stuff's ever going to be online. It's only in that magazine, babies. To do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. KingCast listeners are in the family, as you well know, so I have a nifty promo code to share with you. You should know it by now, but in case you don't, you can save a whopping 25% off your order if you use the code KingCast at checkout. Now, with all of that said, let's get on with the show. Hi, my name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad love, bad love! Guys, we're gonna go see a dead body. Well, sometimes, that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Folks, we are absolutely thrilled about the show that we have for you this week. Our guests are Alexandra and Zachary James, better known as the satanic doo-wop group Twin Temple. In between their 2019 album, Twin Temple, bring you their signature sound, satanic doo-wop. And their recently released LP, God is Dead. They pissed off Alex Jones, supported Glenn Danzig on tour, and today they have landed themselves on the King cast where they'll be discussing Brian De Palma's adaptation of Stephen King's classic novel, Carrie. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the King cast stage, Twin Temple. How are y'all doing today? Whoa. Yes, we're doing most evil. It's finally a, a gray day here in sunny LA, so we're most pleased. <laughs> oh, you know perfect. what? We're having gray days here in Austin, too, right now. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's been rainy. We got storms and Fucking it's spooky it. season. We're recording this like in the week leading up to Halloween, too. So it's <laughs> And thank God the 100-degree weather is broken in, in Austin. Yeah, oh, disgusting. Yeah. Didn't and like speaking it. of being... Being in Austin, sorry, sorry, Scott, didn't mean to interrupt already, but uh, speaking of being in Austin, thank you so much for pissing off Alex Jones. Anybody that pisses off Alex Jones <laughs> is uh, is a friend in my book. Yeah. Uh, yes, that yes. was an interesting time. The hex yeah. has been working quite nicely on him. I've got to say, is that you're doing? Because yeah. uh, whatever you're doing, like, uh, I don't want to get on your bad side because like, like, that dude turned around and owes like more money than like exists I was gonna say, in the state that's of like Texas. A, a 1.4 billion dollar hex i think at this point <laughs> that dude that's is smoked you don't want to cross us yes <laughs> well that perfectly reasonable y'all are here today um through the help of our uh, mutual friend of ours mr david desmalchen um yes yes first yeah. of all, not surprised yeah we love yeah. i i am i can't say i'm surprised that david would be friends with y'all uh, that sounds about right to me, but I'm, I'm, curi- <laughs> I'm curious how how y'all came to know each other through the power of Satan. Like, through the power of Satan. <laughs> oh. I think we were trying to rob the same grave one evening. That's right. that makes sense. That tracks. Yeah, well, I'm like, surprised you made it out of there alive. He takes that shit really seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, there's only so many. I think weirdos in LA who are kind of into you know the same creepy shit that we're all into so i feel like it was only a matter of time before our 
our ghost ships crossed each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> good, do you good take dude. part in, in Dave's uh, uh, game nights, his legendary game nights? Oh, we yes, do. oh is we that do what indeed. he's calling it? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. The blood sacrifices? Yes. I mean, Dave, yes. Yeah, Many evil games are played. <laughs> yes, evil spooky games like Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> And code names. Yeah, code werewolf. names in, in uh, two rooms in a boom. All these big party games. Dictionary. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I will say it's because of the Dave's game night is the reason why Flula Borg is a is a returning in common and uh, common. He's not a common guest. He is a returning favorite guest of of, of the show. Like I met him at one of Des Mulchins game nights and uh, he was like oh i like stephen king and suddenly he he becomes like one of uh the listeners favorites so oh i love oh, it amazing. it all leads back to dust mulchin is what i'm saying yeah yes yes yeah. <laughs> he's our own kevin bacon on this show <laughs> um, he's from everybody i was I, I was unaware that you had toured with glenn dancing and yeah. i am a i am in uh, just ceaselessly uh fascinated by the artist known as Glenn Danzig. And I'm if I ever meet anyone who spent time with Glenn, then <laughs> I've gotta like ask, like, do you have a do you have any good Glenn Danzig stories? Everyone's got a good Glenn Danzig story. Um, I have see. to say that Glenn is one of the loveliest humans we've had the carnal pleasure of touring with. Yeah, he's um, incredible. They say not to like meet your heroes, but in this case, I think it worked out diabolically. I mean, he was just yeah, he's it, the sweetest guy. He's the sweetest guy. Um, I think the funniest thing was like, you know, the first night we're hanging out and Glenn likes to drink absinthe. Um, <laughs> right. And so we bought him a bottle of absinthe just to, you know, say thank you for having us on the tour. And the next morning in my dressing room was like a creepy three foot haunted doll child. that like rips that rips a teddy bear's head off right and he was like for the happy couple like thank you for the absence yeah so we got into a gift war during the tour so we were exchanging you know odd halloween props and, <laughs> and uh, comic books and, and yeah i mean glenn's just like the type of person it was like you're Glenn Danzig. You don't need to like give us a gift in return. Like we're just really happy to be here. But every time we'd, you know, give him something, he would give us like 10 things in return. And yeah, his yeah. tour manager, Dougie, who's also a friend of ours, was just like, Oh, you're in a gift war with Glenn Danzig now. <laughs> like that's the type of person he is. Um, and I mean, there's just so many great stories. Glenn's like really into like the same era of American like rock and roll that we are. I mean, the guy's written for like Roy Orbison yeah, and Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, and he's just a fucking legend. So, I mean, it was amazing. I'm sorry to report I have nothing bad to say about him. I no. could wax poetic about that tour all day. It right. was just an amazing, magical nightmare come true. Yes, a nightmare come true. <laughs> no, it's it's always it, it, listen. Um, I've heard I've heard bad Glenn Danzig stories and I've heard stories like yours, which are are on the opposite end of the spectrum, but they are never not entertaining is <laughs> is the point. Like, yeah, if you get a Glenn Danzig story going, you're you're going to have a, a, a good time. Right. Um, like anybody who works with walking, they have a walking yeah. story and they can still bow down at his feet. It do- <laughs> doesn't mean that there isn't some really fun story to be to be told there with that. dude. Sure. 
I mean, he keeps it real. And I mean, he's a rare one because I think he's one of the few people that can go toe to toe with us with like 62 to 65, like Los Angeles girl group pop and horror, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's got... He's got the mask from Devil Rides Out, oh. you know, or Devil's Ride, oh, yeah. whatever have you. Uh, he has the mask he from the that mask. film, which graced the poster of this tour because it was the 35th anniversary of Danzig One, which he yeah. wore, you know, in the music video. So, I, like, you know, we got to talk, you know, movie props and just our, you know, collections and stuff. Ooh. Hear all that. Yeah, Ooh, I want to hear more about this. So let's let's not move away from this too quickly. What what do you <laughs> collect? I, I have a very very meager i mean i was a blogger before a podcaster i didn't have the the money to go whole hog into prop collecting but i have one really good piece uh uh but i'm curious about yours first like what do you got well i collect ex-husbands <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, it's less so does Wampler prop- too weird weirdly enough yeah <laughs> it's less props from films but it's more maybe inspiration for our own art you know human skeletons and right and, uh oddities taxidermy you know, i collect uh, dead babies as well yeah post-mortem photographs of dead humans we have a full-term baby skeleton we've got named a, rose a headstone from france from what years this 17? like the 1700s like carved in wood i wow. love post-mortem photographs of dead babies especially when they're oh, in their yeah. tiny coffins that's one of my favorite things to collect um, yeah a lot of funerary items although like, we do uh, have some movie stuff we, um, do. we yeah. have like lobby cards from devil rides out and mm-hmm. uh, mostly the artwork i would say yeah a lot of yeah and films like uh yeah just more film artwork and yeah. human remains just, the just usual dead stuff. things you know yeah, the normal stuff <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say you actually have real stuff. Like I, and I'm sitting here all proud that I have the amulet from Monster Squad. You know, <laughs> oh, you're, you're like, oh, I actually have. <laughs> like I actually have, you know, a, a real tombstone and real taxidermy things, and uh, and suddenly my my little maid on set fake gem with some dragons <laughs> entwined on it doesn't uh, backfired on you. It doesn't yes. hold up as well. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I, I think that a lot of people are confused as to what Satanism actually is. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if I could get y'all's take on it as, as a religion as, as and as practicing uh, Satanists. Mm. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I always like to say that, you know, and LeVay said this first, but, um, and I don't agree with everything he says, but one thing he did say that I do agree with is that Satanists are born. They're not made. Um, I really think it's just sort of a certain ethos and just kind of mindset you have. Yeah, that you kind of come into this world with. I mean, I think certainly like certain experiences in my life have made me a more willful version of of that. But I think that from as long as I can remember, I've always been drawn to kind of, uh, I suppose, like subversive imagery like horror, I think is, you know, chock full of that uh, rock and roll, which has always been kind of like a transgressive music born out of like rebellion. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, how do you make yourself uh, be drawn to certain themes? Like, why have I always kind of felt the need to push back against societal like societal norms, norms and the way yeah things are I can't really say that's just kind of how I was born and you know like how I came in 
to this world. It's kind of like a cross section um, between extreme individualism, but wrapped in a nice evil bow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, part of it is, you know, we're not trying to be good. If anything, we're trying as Satanists to transend the binary. Bad, yeah. um, right. You know, Baphomet is kind of one of the central figures for us as Satanists because it re- represents transcending um, duality. So as Satanists, I, we don't believe that there's a hard and fast good and evil. And we don't believe that there's, you know, these irreconcilable binaries that the Western world has really set up. Um, They're all man-made, you know, human constructs that change between, you know, from one society to the next. So how could there be any one black and white? Exactly. So right and wrong, man and woman. I mean, a lot of these things are, you know, constructs that we're trying to tear down and transcend and see past. And that's why Baphomet is like, you know, human and beast and man and woman and, you know, combined. All these conflicting, seemingly Mm. opposing Mm -hmm. symbols. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think for us, it's basically... Celebration uh, of, you know, the human experience and then the individual mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, and self-deifying, you know, and taking responsibility for actions and cause and effect and, and seeing your role, you know, in this whole. Right. This, yeah. And the absolutely. pursuit of like, knowledge and uh, mm-hmm. self-knowledge in particular. Mm-hmm. You can you can find this sort of uh, ethos or, you know, just, you know, a celebration of Satanism and all kinds of rock music. Um, yeah. Don't know that I have ever heard it married to do what before. And the first time <laughs> I heard y'all's music, my brain about fucking exploded. I think, you know, at the risk of, you know, um, going like Chris Farley show on you guys. I just think, I think you two are just two of the coolest motherfuckers on the planet. And I, I really love your music. So, uh, I, well, I already said this, but I'm just I'm so excited you guys are here to this. This is great. Well, yeah, and I want to add on, add on to that that I I love the um, aesthetic choices that you guys make. Like I remember the um, you had a, a music video that was very heavily uh, Fleischer cartoon inspired, um, <laughs> yeah. and you know, and that and you know that's kind of like Cuphead kind of took that and you know brought it back into the mainstream again, but like. You know, somebody grew up on those, frankly, bizarre fucking, you know, cartoons. Yeah. You know, I, I always love it when when you, you can tell uh, kindred kindred spirits, you know, whenever you see somebody like embracing that aesthetic and that kind of weird, trippy, spooky, you know, but also playful, you know, feel. So, yeah. so uh, I mean, it's a song about satanic orgies. We had to make it family friendly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes. You got to yeah, take you... a little bit of the edge off, you know. Maybe... <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna have devil cocks on there. It's you know, as long as it's in the the Fleischer style, it's it's, uh, it's yeah, totally okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a question that we always ask all of our guests, uh, and I'll put it to the both of you now, which is uh, what what is your Stephen King origin story? Mm, yeah, I think it was the the film adaptations of his stories for sure. Movies yeah. like it obviously was just was hugely influential and just an incredible, incredible film. Um, now here are you, are we talking about the miniseries? I'm talking about the, what, uh, Tim the mo- Curry, or the new movie. Tim Curry is oh. Pennywise. Yeah. Like the four part VHS, you know, it took you like days to finish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That definitely stood out. You know, stand by me. I is an incredible film as well as it was, 
a lot of the music was written by Jack Nietzsche, who we're a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. right. uh, beautiful music, beautiful film. Um, but I think it was really just growing up, you know, being exposed to his films. Same. And like in my, I mean, even my mom, you know, which will kind of bring us into what we're talking about today. Carrie, you know, she was the first one who told me about Carrie. And, you know, she was kind of, you know, into his film adaptations as well. Um, but it was really that, you know, just being exposed to the to the film um, at a young age and just being really struck by the story and and just everything. Yeah, definitely. Right. Through the film. Were you, were you both morbid kids? Like, did you both were you both attracted to horror at a very young age? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. that's part, again, you know, the Satanism, you know, this this strange kind of cross section of, you know, individualism, but also married with this love of macabre, you know, and, you know, whether it be gothic literature or, you know, horror films, but, you know, vintage and modern and just just the all the visuals, you know, and again, kind of coming back to the idea of like, oh, that's bad. You know, and it's like, well, it doesn't look bad to me. Like I get enjoyment out of this. So what's wrong with that? You know, and asking those kind of questions like mm -hmm. what what is wrong with with a monster or or, you know, like a an antihero or, you know, or, or maybe there's more to a villain. You know, I mean, maybe you want the villain to seek their revenge, you know, and these kind of more complex narratives. Mm -hmm. Do you have um, I mean, obviously you pick Carrie, so I'm going to assume that this one's uh, a favorite um, yeah. is is there. Is there a Stephen King movie that y'all are both equally fans of that's kind of like your Stephen King movie? Mm, there's so many good ones. <laughs> I mean... I do love Pet Cemetery as well, and you have the Ramones getting to do yeah. a, a really yeah. good I mean, that film is just so great as well. It was hard to pick, really. It was hard to pick. But, you know, Carrie, I feel like for us as artists, it's just like maybe one of the most relevant films in terms of like the themes we explore and the things that inspire us. Yeah. Um, like it could almost be a twin temple origin story. Like yeah. Carrie could be in twin temple if she yeah. had lived. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Maybe it's, live. it's, you know, I was yeah. reading um, a piece in, it was an older piece about y'all in radar earlier today. And Alexander, you were talking about, um, you are, you're British Korean and grew mm. up, you know, dealing with, you know, this sense of like, you know, first of all, dealing with casual racism and also the the sense of being, you know, feeling like othered in some way as a result mm -hmm. of that. And I'm I'm curious. I, I was reading that and thinking, I wonder if I wonder if you find something to identify then with in, in Carrie White. Yeah, I mean, hey, I got my first death threat at age five. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking crazy. Um. <laughs> So, you know, I definitely think that Carrie is kind of like this nightmare story, right, of what happens and like the cycles of violence and trauma that we pass on um, when we do treat people this way and when we other people and bully them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and I think like a lot of outsiders, uh, you know, can relate to that story. Yeah, sure. I, mean, I was bullied literally in gym class, you know, I mean, similar things. I mean, yeah. it's a very uh, typical story. So there's a lot to. Um, well, when you're freaks like us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like, it, well, maybe not everyone does. I don't know. It, it, it is interesting because I think that like just statistically, there has to be more. Carrie White's out there than uh, uh, what's her Chris Cunningham was that yes. her name? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like you know you, you, because that the, 
there's hardly ever, at least in my memory, my experience, you know, I was the fat kid. So of course I got picked on for that. But even, but even then I didn't get like the traditional bullied. I didn't have an Ace Merrill, you know, holding a switchblade up to me and trying to, or a Henry Bowers trying to cut his name into my gut. You know, I never had that, that, uh, level, but you know, you do get that thing where it's just like, oh yeah, that's the popular group table over there. They're sneering at all the, the dorks, the geeks, the, you know, all that shit is real. All that shit happens. So like when you consider that, like it is kind of a stroke of genius. And I don't think that this was at all intentional, by the way, but it is a stroke of genius of King to go. I'm going to write for those masses, for all those people who were, you know, put down. And and, uh, and then he decides to make it complex, which is one of my favorite things to kind of chew on with Carrie is that she is the person you sympathize with, right? The, the unquestionably, she is the one that is being wrong throughout the whole thing. But then her reaction to it you have both that yet yeah, go, you know, fuck him up. Good carry. Right. You get that, sure. that instant visceral thrill of it. And then you start seeing the collateral damage and then you start seeing, you know, her losing her humanity and, and like all, all, you know, it's like all these things like start compounding to make it really, um, I don't know, just like, it, it's just complex and, and very interesting. So I, I don't know. There, there's something about how King kind of knew that everybody feels a little bit like Carrie White. And I'm sure a lot of the the popular kids at some point felt put down by somebody in their peer group or whatever. Like everybody, that's a common a, a human experience that everybody has is, is that that feeling of, mm-hmm. of uh, being sh- shat upon and not having any recourse to do anything about it. And But what if you had telekinetic powers and you could do something about it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely exactly. i mean who really is quote unquote normal by american standards you know no like by any standard really like i feel like we've created such a rigid and strict uh you know archetype of who a upstanding yeah, normal ideal. person is it's like almost none of us can really be that person and no. you know, by extension we're all just kind of othered in that way and yeah. it, it's never felt, you know, to your point, it's never felt like a bigger lie. The idea of the normal everyday mm-hmm. American than it does now, right. like the past fuck, five years have absolutely changed my opinion about the country that we live in, um, the people that live next door, you know, like on a micro and a macro level. I just I don't even know if like normal people exist anymore because it seems just like a constant barrage of insanity from from every position, you know, left, right. Um, The politicians, the people who are managing our jobs, like Uh nothing seems fucking normal to me anymore. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of hence Satan, because, you know. (laughs) You take you take the things that have been used as epithets or been used against you, and you don them like a cloak of armor. So, you know, people calling me a witch or a slut or a whore. Satanism is about saying, "Yes, I am a slut. Thank you. <laughs> I am a and witch, I, and, and, and I'm happy about it." Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Um, so, and you know, in a lot of ways, Carrie, it's. You know, it's a story of finding and claiming that power and telling your mama, hey, things are going to change around here. I'm going (laughs) to talk. (laughs) Do do you all remember the first time you saw this film? And like, and how old were you? (gasps) Oh, man, I probably was like 
in my early teens. Yeah. So right on. No. You know, it was a while ago. So like six hundred years ago. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> yeah. This, was, this came out in it's probably around the Middle Ages when you first. Yeah, we had it. an advanced <laughs> copy. You know, it's a perk of being a vampire. You can time travel. Um, a little back. complicated, but yeah. It's a little complex. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. But again, my mom turned me on to it. I feel like she resonated with the story. She was brought up in a kind of extreme uh, evangelical. evangelical, you know, Christian psychosis family. <laughs> and uh, I feel like she definitely felt some some uh, aligning with Carrie's story as well. Mm-hmm. So she, I definitely remember her talking about it a lot when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. She was a big fan. I actually can't remember, but I think it was around the same time. Yeah. Um, and that iconic prom queen bloodbath just yeah. stuck with me my whole life. Yeah. And I mean, to a degree, it's like probably why I love glitter and blood together so much to this day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to be crowned like that on stage every night. It's a great juxtaposition. <laughs> it's kind of like one of our shows, you know, I mean, it's like the senior high school prom in hell, in hell with a lot <laughs> of blood and like a rock and roll band playing and everyone dies yeah. and a few electrocutions. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's the <laughs> yeah. pyro. That's the light. The light show. <laughs> Have we all uh, ever recreated the, the blood drop from Carrie on stage? We want to. We're working on it. There's, yes. there's a ritual actually. It's Funnily this enough, initiation yeah. ritual, which we, it kind of, you know, it bestows power upon the individual and, and there's, it's called the mitress like yeah, ritual. They have this whole set basically where, you know, there's someone standing above you and at a certain moment in the ritual, you're bathed in blood, you know, mm-hmm. totally from above, very much like the Carrie scene. So we've been trying to work how to do that in a live show. I mean, we basically. Um, but we do, you know, we do blood baptisms right now. So again, it's yeah. the same kind of idea of Carrie, you know, being, they didn't really realize it, but they're bestowing this power upon her, you know, and she kind of reaches her peak tele- telekinetic abilities in this moment. And, uh, Right. That's kind of a theme in occult practice and ritual, you know, using blood. And symbolism. Yeah. And, the symbolism. and what blood represents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Blood is a powerful magic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What are you using for blood on stage? Virgin blood. When we can get them, but they're so rare <laughs> these days. <laughs> well, I was wondering if maybe that was part of the holdup was in order to perform the ritual correctly, you would have to use actual blood and maybe that would be a no-no if say you're performing in a venue that didn't want actual blood all over their stage. Um, yeah, well, I, mean, I told just... you I collect ex-husbands, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the second. That's after so we'll leave, we'll just leave that there. And, uh... <laughs> Those Fair are enough. much easier to find. <laughs> For sure. Uh, so there's a, it feels like in the year of, of uh, our Lord 2023, it, it feels like this is an age of rising Margaret Whites. You know, it feels it feels like there's been a push recently, you know, with the book bannings in schools, with, you know, all these these parent groups like hunting down anything that's not, you know, that could be damaging to children, even if that is literally just their teacher has a husband, you know, their guy teacher has a, a husband or their lady teacher has a wife, you know, all this stuff. It feels like we had somehow gotten away from my childhood, which was very dominated by the religious right, but it feels like we're swinging back the other way pretty hardcore right now. Is that something that you have felt, you know, especially since you guys are very, you know, outward about your, uh, your religion and, uh, and your, your passions? 
Have you yeah, noticed that I yourselves? Mean, yeah, I think like then as in now, like the fundamentalist evangelical Christian is maybe one of, I mean, equality's most formidable foes. Um, and it's funny because we were just talking about how relevant this film is now, some yeah. you know, 50 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, I think not even 50 years, but I mean, the themes that it, ex- it explores is like part of. I think the evolution of the postmodern world in general, I think, you know, the Western world has been scared of women's sexuality for about a thousand <laughs> yeah. years now. And we love to sit here and on our laurels and talk about, you know, the progress of our society. But Margaret White is forever. She was there at the witch hunts. She was there, you know, and Carrie, she's here today. She's here next to Trump, you know. Yeah. Pushing for the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. Yeah, it's like that's it's uh, it it is scary, but it feels more desperate now. Maybe it's just, you know, I'm I'm getting older now, you know, and but it feels more desperate. And I think I'm backed up a little bit because if you like actually look at religious statistics, Christianity is on the decline. Yeah, um, and is. people who identify as Christian are on the decline. Even people who have faith and believe kind of in a Judeo-Christian God, they don't identify themselves as Christians. They don't go to church. You know, it's like there's there there's a societal shift that's happening. And I feel it's kind of making the ultra religious folks, the the fanatical ones, a little bit more dangerous now. Yeah. Um uh, then th- or at least more dangerous than it felt like to me as a kid when, you know, they were just upset at, uh, you know, Freddy Krueger movies and, and trying to, you know, teaming up with those on, you know, uh, across the aisle to try to ban, you know, rap CDs and shit, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, like it feels a little bit more venomous and, uh, I don't know, dangerous now for some reason I think, for me. Well, yeah. I think p- part of why it feels more dangerous is because a you know, a fair number of these people are in positions of power and are making decisions for the rest of us. You know, it's, it's one thing if you see uh, some random person on a street corner, you know, ranting about the Bible and fucking, Mm -hmm. you know, proselytizing. That's one thing. It's another when it's your Senator, right. Or like, you know, somebody who's actually in a position to make a decision that now limits what you can do with your own life. Uh That's, that's some very dangerous shit. And that's absolutely what's going on right now. So it's, yeah. that's probably why it feels like that. Right. Mm, yeah. mm-hmm, definitely. Oh. Yeah. And I think Carrie kind of explores all those themes so yeah. beautifully, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So do you, do you know much about the, the book? The book is kind of pretty different from the, from the movie um, because it's told from multiple it's, it's told after the, the fact and by like eyewitness accounts from multiple people. So it's uh, uh, it's not really told in, in the, the narrative style that De Palma chose. And I think he made a brilliant choice because if you don't, if you start at the end, there's something about not following Carrie on her journey and not being in her shoes to the mm-hmm. point, you know, when you hit that, that finale, uh, that climax that it's uh, it, it's not as effective, you know, I think at least uh, in, in film terms, I won't speak to, to the, you know, to reading a novel, but uh, 
but yeah, it, it's really interesting. And, and I'm, you know, I, I don't know, maybe this is a jumping off point to talk about how important this movie was, uh, you know, because it was a big, huge hit. It's kind of what put King on the map. You know, it was after this movie that his his um, uh, book started selling in the millions. You know, there's something about Carrie that's always going to be fascinating because it set, set the stage for Stephen King as a name in horror. Um, and it also... I don't know, kind of married him to movies um, uh, in a way that most other authors of his size aren't like Tom Clancy, even though he's been adapted a a million times, you know, very successfully, he doesn't still have that same relationship where he's, you know, still relevant the way King is. And I think a lot of King's relevance is in the fact that he is constantly adapted and, uh, you know, brought to a whole different audience, you know? Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm just. I don't have a question there. I'm just throwing that raw meat right on the, right on the table. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, or if if you, um, you know, if you've ever connected the fact, you know, before that it's that King, being so prominent, you know, as a, um, you know, Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man or Stephen King's Children of the Corn, like all from his shitty movies to the good movies to the great movies, like his name being. <laughs> in cinema, um, I think has given him a longer relevance than, than most. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, uh, made him even more of an icon than he already was. I think too, Carrie, like kind of set him up because I think he caught lightning in a bottle with that. Cause it was like 1976 and you had a couple things going on. You had like the women's lib movement, which was really gaining steam. Right. But you also had the evangelical Christian movement that was like really starting to reach like a peak. Like I think I read somewhere that Gallup said 1976 was the year of the evangelical Christian, that more uh, Americans, you know, on the census had reported that they were born again than mm. ever before. And so you have this like fever pitch of two cultural movements kind of like reaching, you know, a peak at that time. And he managed to, I think, really talk about um, all of the fears uh, that everyone was having, you know, evangelical Christians, feminists, the patriarchy alike, were all really afraid of like, what's going to happen if we let women be equal? They're going to blow up your prom, duh. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And what's going to happen if we let, you know, teenagers, uh, if we teach them about their bodies? What happens if we remove shame um, from women's bodies and from sexuality? And I think, you know, like we were talking at the same time, it's like you have two very topical, like hot buttons. um, And yet, like we said, this story has been going on since the witch hunts of the Middle Ages. Yeah, the archetypes that have just not gone away. And again, they're still happening now. Exactly. So I totally see why this movie kind of like, and the adaptation put him on the map because it was just like timeless and yet so of the moment. Um, You know, and I definitely think like as artists, that's something that, you know, we definitely think about and to a degree have interest in is like talking about these, you know. Timeless archetypes. mm -hmm, But in a way that's like, very of the moment, um, mm. at least for us. So mm-hmm. I see why it had the success that it did and and why it put Stephen King on a map as like the storyteller that he is, you know? Right. Totally. This film is notable for having not one, but two powerhouse uh, 
performances by an actress in it. Uh, it's a yeah. it's a stacked cast, but the yeah. two best performances in the movie are you know Sissy Spacex and Piper Laurie's as as Carrie and Margaret White, the recently uh, deceased Piper Laurie. Rest in peace. Yes, rest yeah. in peace. Yeah, I know. We were just Last talking week. about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, real bummer. Um, yeah. I'm I'm curious if it's an impossible question. I, I know that asking it, but d- do you prefer one of the performances over the other? Or are they completely equal? Mm. Mm. <sighs> I mean, I think the interesting thing for me was that in mainstream cinema, you don't see a stacked cast that's all women leads. Right. Um, women very much drive the narrative of Carrie, of Carrie. And I think that's something that, you know, always appealed to me is that the women in this film aren't just like sexual objects or playthings of the men. They have their own dreams and their yeah. own desires and they've got their own plots and their yeah. own themes and, you know, people they want to kill and enact revenge on and their own thoughts. Um, and I think that the fact that you had such you know, powerhouse performances by both of them was like mm-hmm. something that always attracted me to the film. I mean, yeah, I mean, Sissy Space is I mean, it's incredible. You know, the end scene, just those the faces, yeah, the emotion, <laughs> it's incredible. But I also really love the Christian psychosis that <laughs> right. Piper conveys. It's so great. It's, well, it's she might be my nightmare. She is. A <laughs> She's all all of our nightmares. Yeah, I don't like, know. I think the movie doesn't work without Spacek working and i think the movie could still work if spacek worked and margaret white didn't you know what i mean so i think just on that level i'd have to go with with uh sissy spacek but when when you pair them together like those scenes where they're at the dinner table and you know she's starting to uh, carrie starting to show a little backbone and a little resistance to just being compliant to her mother and the tension that that is and that incredible set design they have with those creepy ass religious paintings everywhere. And, and, you know, I don't know. It's like, there's, there's something about the way that Piper Laurie approached Margaret white, where she approached her with some sensuality too. And which is such an odd choice and seemingly totally at odds with, uh, uh, with the fundamentalist character that she's playing. But it makes her so much creepier and also oddly relatable. I don't know why, but it, it is that, you know, and maybe we'll give that credit to Piper Laurie for, you know, my understanding is she really fought for that, especially in her death scene where she wanted it to treat it orgasmic instead of mm-hmm. like screaming and, and like I'm in pain and I'll give her, you know, all the credit there, but there's also a little bit of, De Palma, especially this era, De Palma, who is just one of the horniest directors that's ever done it, right? <laughs> and this movie just exudes oh, yeah. sexuality in the way the book does not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Piper Laurie embraced that, it, whether she did it consciously or unconsciously, I have no idea. But, um, um, but I don't know. It just fits this movie, you know. The this this movie's you know kind of low key horned up throughout. Sometimes not so low key, but you know, even when it doesn't seem like sexuality is on the forefront, there's there's a weird eroticism to it. Maybe some of it's a little bit in the soap opera, you know, milky way that they shot it. You know, I, I don't know, but there's there's a well, there's, just to, there's a lot of horny going on in this thing. Just to pull at this thread, like, yes. can you name a De Palma movie that doesn't have some level of horniness to it? 
Uh, I mean, the maybe main high is... mom with Robert De Niro. Maybe um, I, I haven't seen that one. I'm gonna. That's like one of his early, early ones. Yeah, because even Phantom of the Paradise is very horny. Oh yeah, a blowout is extremely horny. And that's why we love Body it. Devil. Yeah, yeah. The, the favorite. That's uh, why it has the TT stamp of approval. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Mama is horny. Yeah, <laughs> it's but horny. You know, actually, let me let me ask y'all about this. There was there was a study that came out today. That mm. uh, this is this I know been what you're a, about a, to talk about. Yeah, yeah, this has been a recent topic of conversation on the show. Um, we we had Joe Lynch on recently, who directed a movie called Suitable Flesh, which is an unabashedly horny Lovecraft adaptation. And we were talking about um, this the ongoing discourse that's happening on social media that's mostly seems to be driven by the younger generation. Um that is averse to uh, depictions of sex in movies and, and that, you know, the, the, the sort of horny thrillers that we used to get in the nineties. Um, yeah. We're, you know, maybe we're stuck in our ways and maybe <laughs> we're the ones, you know, maybe it's not the children who are wrong, but there was a, a, a thing released today, uh, like a, a study showing that, yeah, this is a, this is a major thing with with that generation, and I'm I'm curious what what y'all make of that. Like, what what do you make of the younger generation's aversion to depictions of uh, sex on screen? I um, actually am not familiar with that. So. Yeah, really. About that. No, but I Our that fans are plenty odd. horny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're now in their that audience, I'm about the audience it. at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think anybody's surprised when they're, they're when they're show. showing up to Twin Temple at this point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I think you, that's interesting. It's though. very strange. Any kind of repression, I wouldn't really vote for, you know. But I mean, to each their own, and that's an individual choice. But to try and uh, try and put that over an entire art form or something, I, I think is quite strange, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, again, it doesn't happen in our world. So if you're looking for <laughs> that, don't yeah, I'm realizing it. now that I'm probably asking the wrong people about this. <laughs> well, but, are well out for Satan so. for sure. Yeah. It's yeah, it's, a, it's a strange phenomenon though, and I'm not sure what to to make of it. Like I, I just feel hmm. I don't know. And and now we're talking about it on the show again, so people are gonna think I'm obsessed with this. But I mean, <laughs> just... we're, we're Satanists, right? <laughs> so I mean, we're touching on like the Satanic tradition, what it means a little bit earlier. But I mean, it's part of a greater tradition of the left hand path, where another one of the fundamental ideas is kind of like to rid yourself of shame of having a body and you know sexual desires and taking pleasure in that body and utilizing sexual energy for magical practice as well so so sex is a big a part of the left hand path of, exactly the, the magical application of hmm. because there's a lot of religions or even even magical traditions that are like they shun the body they shun the body uh and they're like oh sex magic should only be used for like world peace or like good things you shouldn't use it to get what you want whereas satanists are like magic is formed on energy and sex is energy and there's no shame in using it i mean you should see some of these occult books they're like charge your sigil by drowning yourself so you nearly die and pass out and then open your eyes and charge the sigil and it's like 
a Satanist is like, or you can be horny and have sex and charge that. <laughs> yeah. A little more fun. Yeah. Maybe almost killing yourself. Yeah, you can right. sacrifice your firstborn or you can have sex, which I mean, both are valid. Yeah. I mean, we like a good sacrifice. But. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, going back to your other point, I think that his choice to make the movie horny um, and also Margaret horny to a degree is really clutch to the story because I think it demonstrates sort of the cycles of trauma and violence that happens when you police women's bodies, when you impose so much shame and guilt upon them. Yeah, and the madness from the repression. I mean, because she admits yeah. in the end, oh, I liked it. You know, I liked his whiskey yeah. breath, you know, and when he touched me or whatever. <laughs> she was horny. Yeah, she and- needed to just <laughs> go with it, and she would have been fine. If she had just been horny and stayed horny, Margaret would have been fine. Carrie would have lived. Carrie would have been fine. The whole class would have lived. She would have gotten her period. She would have been, like, tight. She would have done some sex magic with her period blood, and everyone <laughs> would just have an orgy, and it would have been fine. All because of the church and margaret's <laughs> i'm curious to learn more about sex magic and i'm yeah. and i'm wondering if I you, bet you are yeah you bet i am uh i i know nothing tell t- tell me can you give me the the basics like what are what are we dealing with here when we say yeah, sex magic? basically you know i mean magic you're using symbolism to communicate to your subconscious because there's a belief that you know there's a saying as above so below there's a law of you know sympathetic resonance, so we're all connected by a you know our subconscious and a larger consciousness. I mean, like in a layman's term, the placebo effect is a form of magic because right. you are enacting this psychodrama where you are ingesting a pill that you believe are imbued with specific powers to cause a psychological change. You take the pill, and because you, your subconscious, believes in the you know ritual or the popping of the pill that you just did it enacts a psychological or and physiological change which i think alistair crowley's definition of magic still holds up today but it's the art and science basically of causing change in accordance with your will so magic is basically harnessing that mechanism harnessing symbol paired with energy and right. in sex magic you use sexual energy because you know there's a lot of ways you can raise energy and, and in different magical practices use different forms of energy raising but in left hand path primarily in which you know satanism is a, a branch of left hand path sex is fair game you, you can be horny magic. and do it so you yeah. use the sexual energy <laughs> to um to uh, charge and seed these symbols into your mind yes basically I, so it's I am not, not just a, the it's not just the act, but like the 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 process of getting getting horned up. Is that is that the thought? Yeah, I yeah. mean it's the energy. You know, I mean yeah. what you're feeling is a is a energy raising. You know, and then it's you focus the energy. You know, you send it somewhere. I mean, there's lots right. of different ways to raise energy, like the witch's circle, spinning, yeah, chanting, like Sufi dancers. They're 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 making energy. I mean, there's a lot of different things. Breathing exercises. There's a lot of different stuff. But yeah, I mean, instead right. of having Instead of making a child, you make a magical child and you make it whatever you want. Which is like your wish or, you know, your will or what it is you're trying to Yeah, ideally you're change. trying to aid your will, which again, you know, coming back to Crowley, you know, um, your true will is this idea of Thelema, which, you know, we all have something we're here to do. You know, we all have this kind of burning passion and it's our job to find what that passion is and then uh make follow it, it and make it happen you know mm-hmm. and then you use magic to to uh help you on that course mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Very intriguing. You're selling me on the Satanism thing. I'm, I'm, into, I'm, into, I'm into all of this. Yeah. You get to have sex and enjoy it. Well, I can do that anyway. I'm just, I'm just not affiliated with any particular party at this time, you know. But uh, I, I have friends that are 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 practicing Satanists, and um, mm. it's it's always been something. Like I was raised, I was raised Christian, and then when I don't know, I got to, I got to the age where I could start, where I realized that sometimes adults could be full of shit, which <laughs> I'm guessing is like 10, 11 years old. <laughs> that's when I started getting kind of mouthy in like Sunday school. You know, they would they would say things to us that I just flat out didn't believe and was like, yeah. wait, what now? You know, and um, and I frequently got in trouble for that sort of thing for, you know, running my mouth in church. Um, <laughs> shortly thereafter, you know, uh, my family stopped going to church as much. Uh, I don't know if that had anything to do. Did with you it. embarrass them out of it? I don't think so. You know, we jumped around to a couple of churches, but I I spent some time like I don't know when I was a teenager into my early twenties, sort of looking into other religions and uh, trying to just sort of understand what everyone else seemed to understand that I didn't, right. which was essentially mm. the idea of faith, mm. and I just could not despite everything that every religion that I looked into and everything that I learned about, I never found myself in a position where I was like, I could, I could believe in this particular thing. And what, what I find really attractive about Satanism is that it is so, I don't want to say self-centered, although that is sort of the, the correct terminology for it in a way, you know, it's, it's, it seems to be putting the power of your entire destiny in your hands versus, you know, a god, like some theoretical god that you're never actually yeah. going to speak to. Deification. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is the opposite of organized religion as a whole, which is, yes. you know, taking the individual out and trying to, you know, make it a homogenous group together. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. And again, it's understanding that, you know, your individual perspective, you know, I mean, uh, again, you know, you have this true will and you're trying to seek this, this true will that's larger than just, you know, an occasional whim or, you know, a daily desire, you know, I mean, it does it does somewhat transcend the self to a degree yeah because it's it's fiercely individual so i think it recognizes that each person is you know unique and has something only they can accomplish on this earth and only they can do and what makes them you know a one of a kind human that yeah, hasn't kind of existed before and won't again. So it's like gives you respect for all individuals. Yeah, it's not you know it's like yes, my world is important and I need to carry out this will, but you know I also recognize that everyone else is on the same journey and you know and trying to do their own. Yeah, thing. it's very humanistic. Yeah, yeah so it's for not sure. trying to like convert you know in any way. If you know. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is this is sort of what I was hinting at before when I said that I think a lot of people have a misconception about what Satanism is. I think people confuse it with like this cartoonish sort of read on devil worship, you mm-hmm. know, which, which my understanding is that's just, that's absolutely not what it is, you know, yeah. but yeah. I mean, a lot of people think Satanism is like having orgies, you know, sacrificing virgins under the full moon. And I mean, I think we're here to say that that's absolutely true. But yeah, you know, I mean, again, going back to, you know, the idea of devil worship, you know, I mean, there are these archetypes, you know, like Lucifer, you know, and the fallen angel and being an archetype for this, for, you know, the rebel 
And again, you know, I mean, there was like a big renaissance, you know, in um, in like literature, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like where Lucifer, yeah, played yeah. a big part in that, you know, and the light bringer, and you know, the idea of logic, you know, and not following blind faith and and questioning everything. So there are these archetypes that can be used, you know, but it's definitely not worship of any kind. It's more just tapping into ideas. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm not super like I mean I'm not a religious person, you know, period. Uh, you know, one way or the other, but it, just even as a passive observer, I can I can say that like every time I've seen a story about the evil satanists that are you know kidnapping children for their adrenochrome or, you know, or doing whatever the fuck, it always turns out to be bullshit and every but you know what isn't bullshit are all the stories about the thousands of children that are being, you know, that, that have been raped by the Catholic church, you know? So it's like, you know, like, so I, I don't know, like I kind of sit back and go, you know, the Satanists are just doing their own thing. Like let them alone. If you know, that's kind of the whole American dream, you know, be your own individual and don't, nobody can tell you otherwise. Uh, and you know, and then I look at all these other more, you know, quote unquote, respected or you know institutions or whatever of, of religion and it's always all the fucked up shit you know the that's really happening is happening in those walls sure so, yeah, yeah exactly they're the ones that come up with those crazy narratives i mean again you know <laughs> they uh, some you know christian extremist group said that we we say the blood is fake yet they know that we go to abortion clinics and steal murdered babies. aborted fetuses to drain them of their blood and use them on stage. And, and that is how we get our and blood. And would have the time to do that. Babies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we have people who can, you know, who do it for us. But regardless, <laughs> yeah, but these narratives, are, they're so creative. Like, I just don't know who would... Who could fathom to okay they're in the back alley they're looking through the the dumpster they found a baby like oh that's, that's yeah do they think it's it. like uh the scene in fight club whenever they're they're grabbing the yeah. fat out of the liposuction tubs or whatever it's like that's not how, how that shit works you're not just gonna go dumpster diving for fetuses yeah horny repressed christians have been telling pretty great stories for like a thousand years now i mean (laughs) the witch hunts they were like if you read the malleus maleficarum about how to hunt witches these Mm -hmm. are some horny horny guys (laughs) like who are really into tying chicks up and i mean it always comes back to like some kind of sexual fantasy um, yeah. I think you know. <laughs> it's very you have to spank the devil out of them. Oh, oh yes, exactly. boy! <laughs> Thoroughly and a great like, you know, <laughs> like brooms naked in the not like you know. It's all yeah, very it's horny. Slutty show. <laughs> yes. So uh, to to bring this back to Carrie for a bit, I guess we've gotten pretty far <laughs> off track. I'm curious <laughs> if y'all have seen like any of the sequels, any of the like there's a a quasi remake. Well, I guess right. it's just a straight up remake of the book. Yeah, but straight up remake. Like, and then there's like the the Brian Fuller TV series one that is a remake with Angela Bettis. Wait, yeah. hold up. Yeah, we. I did not Fuller? know Brian did that. Yeah, yeah in the early 2000s, like very early Brian Fuller. Wow. Um, yeah, this is before okay. Mockingbird Lane. This was before, yeah, like, was like way back in the day. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I loved Mockingbird Lane. Well, we got to ask Brian about that. I had no idea. Me neither. Brian's a uh, Brian's a friend of the show. He's been on. He's he's come yeah. on and he's come on and done these queer readings of uh, a couple different King books that are. Oh, I love that. You know, incredible. 
Um, yeah, Brian's an evil love genius. Brian. I he's, love he's him incredible. so much. So I'm going to have to ask him about that. Wow. I had no I idea. I had no Brian idea did that. either. Well, to answer your question, no. No, but it was, uh, that, that, now we will watch that. That particular one was like a thing where I think it was like released as a TV movie or something, but it was also kind of a backdoor pilot for what he wanted to launch as a Carrie series. Oh. Which, you know, is a, its own whole ball of wax. But there's also been, you know, there's been a couple sequels. There's been a couple remakes. Uh, have you, beyond the Fuller one, have you all have you all seen anything else? No, I was familiar there was another remake. But no, I, I kind of just kept it, yeah, kept it to the true it 70. <laughs> you were smart to call. do that. Because uh, I'm here to tell you, don't ever bother with any of them. Um, <laughs> they're real bad. Although I will say... I'm kind of coming around on like uh, the rage carry two, which is oh, wow. okay. an absolutely awful movie. Like, let me be upfront about that. Yeah. But there's enough like weird shit going on in the margins of that movie where I'm kind of like, all right, I kind of have a good trashy time watching this. Like it's borderline disrespectful to the source material. And it is like in no way close to what De Palma achieved with, with King's original text. But like, like, there's a fucking big showdown at the end with spear guns in a carry movie, oh. you know, oh, wow. and flying CDs as well. Don't forget the yeah. flying CDs. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't write that off completely. I'm sorry. The rage. Okay. Yeah, well, that one sure. it's also a trashy time. It's also it's, very, oh, it's very, very late 90s. So if you have any nostalgia for like the goth look of the late nineties, the main character is kind of this gothy chain wallets like as far as the eye can of, see of carries. And it, it the, it's a, it's a terrible, like Scott said, but it's also fascinating because it's one of those things where somebody was just like, we have the script. Nobody wants to make it. Uh, why don't we just do the bare minimum tweaking to it and call it a carry too. And so then suddenly Sue Snell shows up for no fucking reason. And, you know, then oh, you yeah. get like this one, like 10 minute scene where it's the backstory of, of, of the main characters, you know, d- mysterious father ends up being Carrie White's, you know, uh, uh, absentee dad and, and all oh. this stuff. But all the rest is just like, you know, close enough where they're like, yeah, we'll just make this a Carrie sequel. Oh man. Huh. Yeah. I remember, I feel like I've heard of the rage for sure. about it and it, you know, yeah, but we're gonna have to watch Rage and Brian's. Version. Yeah, maybe just yeah. in honor of the show. Well, too. Yeah. I mean, watch then me. you gotta be a completionist and watch the Chloe Grace Moretz one because then you're only missing to, one. We, we don't want to. We don't want to. You gotta collect all the carries, is what I'm saying. All right. We're trying I to mean, make I friends here. Let's not push them to words. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Watch Bad time. That that's going on tonight yeah. for sure. Right. My um, um, well, go ahead, Eric. Uh, well, I wanted to to circle back to the prom sequence because this is every time that I've revi- and I've watched Brian De Palma's Carrie a hundred times at this point. Like I've seen it. I remember in the early days of the Alamo Draft House when I was like 18, 19 going there. And this is before every town had their revival cinema. And the only way I would ever have seen this on the big screen was to see it there. And I oh. like went like they would play it for three nights and I went all three nights. Like I, I fucking love this movie. But something that like stands out to me now that that I keep revisiting it is that 
no matter you know what you think of any of the other parts of the movie and i've showed this to my nephews my young nephews and they were you know they were interested throughout but they just watching them visibly perk up in the prom sequence <laughs> like there's just something about that that is like timeless that that the way that that's executed with the split screen oh, with uh I... sissy spacex performance you know oh. with her just being an empty shell like yeah. her humanity is gone the silhouette oh. that she strikes the shot when the fire starts behind her and she's all just the silhouette with her kind of crone like you know rigid you know hands out and she just slowly walking through uh the fact that it's chaos that takes the innocent and the guilty at the same time there's just something oh. about that whole sequence, which to me, the more I see it and the more that I'm examining it kind of on a, I don't know, not professorial level, but at least on a, a you know, a, a film nerd level, it's, um, it's like an all timer movie moment. And like, I would say easily a top 10 horror sequence of, uh, that's ever been, been made. Like, do you guys really. feel the same way? Absolutely. 666%. <laughs> it's, Good. it's incredible. It's an incredible scene. Yeah. We just rewatched it to, prep for the you know show and i think we were also just like this is just still you know holds up no matter how many times you see it it really moves me it really does (laughs) and what what do you think of the kind of the undercurrent because this has come up when we've discussed carrie before and it's in the this day and age where we see a lot of bullied kids act out violently in in school Like, do you think like I never thought to like examine this with my nephews who like, you know, they're going to school where they're active shooter drills all the time and, you know, and and all this stuff. Like, I I wonder what this generation makes of that, like if that even crosses their mind or if they're just fully on Carrie's side at that point, you know, if there's, you know, uh, has that is, is that something that's ever registered with you guys? Have you thought about like that kind of angle on the kind of complex the the moral complexity there because you're on carrie's side you know she deserves to to lash out you know yeah. but um you know she's doing it kind of indiscriminately you know at, at that point and uh you know at what point is it too much and it's like you're you're cheering for the bad guy i guess is, is what my question is right i i guess that the scene is so surreal for me in particular i'm not really grounded in the reality of like oh you know is this a real violent happening you know right. i'm just really enjoying the narrative arc at that moment and the, the amount of blood and, and glitter backdrops. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it's just sort of like pure catharsis. Like yeah. it's almost just like animal instinct in that. Yeah. You moment. get to revel in her, you know, and uh, her taking it all out on them finally, you know? Right. I, I just, I don't know. I love the scene. So no, it never registered that way to me. I could see why it would, you know, to, to people, but yeah, not certainly. to me. I just get to enjoy the surreal. <laughs> The spectacle of it, right. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, and that's kind of the intent. I mean, obviously, De Palma throws in the the fact is that this, I don't believe she dies in the book, but like the the gym teacher that's been helping her the whole time, uh, you know, gets killed too, you know, amongst everything. I mean, the book, the the whole sequence is very different. Like she gets the blood spilled on her and then she leaves. And then she says, fuck these guys, I'm going to come back. Oh yeah, I got powers. You know, she has this whole, it's a lot more, the way that De Palma plays it, it's a lot more that she loses herself to her power. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and. I think uh, that's like the patriarchal fear, right? Right. Is, because I think I, I read something about Stephen King saying, well, she's like Samson who, pulled the whole temple down around her. Right. So I think in that sense, it's very much this fear of what happens when women step 
into their power. But I think for me, it's sort of like, I, I guess I just see it as a warning as far as this is what happens when you shame people, when you repress sexuality, when there's generational trauma of women being repressed, when you don't teach women what their period is, because that's how the movie started. And it's like, in that sense, it's, it's not a fair movie. And that's what makes it so lifelike. Because in this world we're living in, it's not like the good guys get spared either. When no. you're passing on trauma, everyone in the at the prom gets killed. Right. You know? So I guess I just find it very true to life. Mm. <laughs> um, and like, you know, I feel like that's what makes it stand up as such a great piece of art because it's a it's not necessarily like a morality tale. But it's sort of a warning, like, hey, this is what happens when, right. mm-hmm. you know, we live this way and we treat others this way. Yeah. You know? yeah. Because in my version, you know, the people who try to help her would live and Carrie would live. And, yeah. You no, know, she. Well, maybe Carrie did live. And maybe, I mean, she does come out from the ground. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's a nightmare. Come on. She's yeah, kind of alive. But, uh, well, I'm and I'm curious what you think of the um, the angle that King took, which was somebody who wanted her vengeance to. She wanted to take credit for it because she in the book she does this thing where she like telepathically pushes essentially uh, an image of herself to everybody in town, going, "You done fucked with the wrong person, right?" <laughs> and she so she's like really wanting. Not only, I don't know, she's given more agency in the book, I guess, which is, um, uh, which, you know, it has its own pros and cons, but it's a fascinating thing. And that's the thing where I was kind of refreshing myself on the story. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that part. And it's really interesting how the novels carry really wants, she doesn't just want to get revenge against the people that, you know, have fucked with her. She's like, you know, all right everybody deserves it. And I'm going to tell, tell all y'all that it's me and I'm coming for you. You know, it's like, there, there's something really, um, I don't know, interesting about that. And I'm curious as to why like no adaptation is really try to tackle that. Is it just simply because if you're the movie's called Carrie and you're following her, you have to keep her somewhat sympathetic. Like, I, I don't know. Like I have no idea what, what the thought process is, but it's, it's a really, kind of neat idea that I, you know, I don't, God knows we don't need another Carrie movie. I'm not advocating for one, but if they do, like I would very <laughs> much love to see somebody play with that aspect of it. Totally. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, Ooh. I didn't realize that. I like that. It's even more satanic. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're going to die and you're going to know who did it. Yeah. Here is, yeah. Uh, here's our, uh, our final question for you. Yes. Um, if you had telekinetic powers, a la Carrie White, you have Carrie White's exact powers. What's the first thing you're doing with it? <laughs> oh man! Mm. Like, are you are you are you the type where you're going to be using this power to, I don't know, fucking screw with somebody who's taking too long to order at the Starbucks in front of you, <laughs> or you know, like, are you using it in a petty way? Are you gonna are you gonna hold on to it for like? when you're really when you're like legitimately filled with rage like 
you know, the, the, the world is your oyster. You have this power now. Now what? I think we're already using those telekinetic powers. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, it would definitely, you know, it's for larger, it's for larger workings, not, not petty coffee shop workings for sure. Mm. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, fair enough. I'd I'd be real petty with it. I'm going to be, I'd be using it at the drop of a hat. Oh my Lord. Oh yeah. Next guy that cuts me off. Suddenly they get a a blowout in their tire and you're just like, whoops. Easy. I would be the biggest, you know, if, um, in the, in the grand scheme of telekinetics across all of media, I would be the biggest asshole with, yeah. with telekinesis. Like, I agree. You do not like, want me getting my hands on that power. Like, yeah. yeah, like road rage incidents. I'd probably, <laughs> I mean, I just use it right now to just take Zach's clothes off. He's sitting here in the nude. I mean, I just use it willy-nilly for literally the <laughs> Does it work that way? Could you stuff. could you undress someone with telekinesis? I telekinesis? just did. Okay. okay. I think okay. you'd have to be pretty practiced with it. Yeah. <laughs> like untying my shoes. Yeah, mm. that was me. Yeah. Buttons, zippers, what have you. Yeah. That, you know. Yeah. Complex. I would pull everyone's fly down. <laughs> you you, you got to train with, with Carrie White. You got to train and get, you know. Yeah. You know, that, that's like, like the, she, she'll be your mountains. Mr. Miyagi. Yes. Yeah, the montage for sure. It's like, <laughs> yeah. like the scene where Pai Mei is like <laughs> teaching the bride and kill Bill, but it's just like a dummy with a zipper on its pants, <laughs> just having to lower the zipper. That would be sick. focus. That yeah. is how I trained, actually. We're tying their shoes together so when they get up, they trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like and I, I, moving see, banana get it. Yeah. yeah, there you go. All right. Yeah. Okay. See, there's a lot yeah. of fun you could have with it. I think mostly if it was if it was me, I would just it's a, oh if I had Jedi powers like. Like, trust me, I, uh, look look at me. I am just going to use it to be lazy. The remote's over there. Guess what? It's floating over to my hand now. You know? You mean you're yeah, like... I'm, I'm sorry. That's that's just, you know, if I'm being real, that's, that's the shit I would use it for. It's just like, oh, the cats need to be fed. So that's, now that's... now it's going to, like, I'm going to bed knobs and broomsticks, that shit happening, you know? Yeah. That's like, sick, yeah. I approve. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm <laughs> here for it. Well, this was uh this was a delight. Uh, love this conversation. Love you guys. Uh, where can people find you? Where 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 can we come see you next? What's what's going on in your world right now? Yeah, well, you know, when is this airing? Oh uh, yeah, uh, it'll just, be uh, a week after next, I believe. Yeah. Okay, okay so we've we'll already played. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, you know, twintemple.com, you know, links you to all of our shows and all that stuff coming up. Um, yeah, well, I don't, as yeah. you mentioned, we just put out a new record on October 13th. God is mm-hmm. dead. So you can listen to that and purchase that on vinyl and all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll be doing some shows in the new year. Nothing announced yet, but we'll definitely be getting back out on the road on route yeah. 666 soon enough. Yeah. Yeah. You guys come through Austin when you, when you tour? um we have yes Will i we? love austin. i don't know but yeah we love austin I, all right I, cool. I think got, yeah we we should be coming through texas sooner we'll be through texas for later. sure yeah. some people are just like fuck it i'm not going to texas i love which, texas which i get but austin is like sort of the oasis so it's like yeah, yeah. Well, come to austin you know we're, Look, we're all we're, of texas has big hair which i'm here for oh i'm gonna i'm gonna come see you guys the next time you're in town um yeah and thank you so much for for being here and uh please come back somewhere up the road 
Yes, yes. thank y'all for yeah, having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Absolutely. Many thanks to Alexandra and Zachary James, aka Twin Temple, for joining us. Yes, uh, that was that was a wild one. I'm I'm uh, curious as to what the response is going to be on that one. I have a feeling like we've kind of curated a a fairly open minded and diverse uh, uh, audience here, and not a particularly fundamentally religious audience either. Right. So I doubt we're going to get much blowback. But uh, I, I have a feeling if we started the show with this kind of episode, we would be expecting a lot of uh, wild reviews on on iTunes. I, I tend to agree with that. Um, I don't think that I don't think it's anything unusual for our uh, regular listeners. Um, if you if you if somebody just hopped in on that one, uh, I don't know what to tell you, you know, but uh, we loved having Twin Temple on and um, look forward to talking to those guys again. Yeah, they, they they were great and like rolled with a bunch of uh, the random stuff. Every time it got a little weird, it was also really fun. I don't know. I guess that's kind of mm-hmm. what their music is. So I'm. Uh, yeah. they, they lived up to my expectation. I think that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, uh, I had a blast talking with, with those two and, uh, and I hope they'll come back. And speaking of challenging episodes, <laughs> uh, right. we should yeah. offer up a warning as to what's, what's going to happen, uh, on next week's show in the mm. main feed. Uh, yes. do you, do you want to tell the people? Yes. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> we don't have a title to tell you because Wampler and I weren't told the title that we were going to be discussing in advance. So we will tell you the guest. We are bringing back our friend uh, Ben Meckler. Our diehard listeners will remember we've had Ben on the show before. Uh, he is a screenwriter. He's worked on Kipo and the Wonder Beast. He's worked on that uh, Kung Fu Panda show. Uh, he is also one of the more fun Twitter personalities that's existed. If you've mm-hmm. ever seen... Uh, you know, the websites that kind of go and grab first reactions to uh, um, uh, like premieres and whatnot and, uh, you know, kind of compile them all in one. You'll always see that there's one Ben Meckler tweet that gets uh, snuck in there. Uh, it used to be by accident. I have a feeling like some of these uh, website people are bored now and they just do it on purpose now. But what he would do is he would like write some nonsense about the latest Marvel movie and then slip in how, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, Ant-Man likes to, to like eats 40 sausages or something in the middle of it and, and totally like, uh, take the piss out of, out of the whole process of gathering random, uh, uh, Twitter reactions and making a story out of that. So he's a really funny guy. Yeah. In short, he is a prankster. He's a bit of a, yeah. Yeah. And we wanted him back on the show and we wanted to do something a little unusual for his, his latest episode. So we said, we we're going to come into this uh, and we won't want to know anything about what we're going to discuss. You pick the title. Uh, we don't care wh- whether it's a short story, a novel, a poem, a fucking magazine article, uh, you know, a, a movie, a TV series, a mini series, a video game, whatever, whatever it is, as long as it's something Stephen King is involved with, um, we will we will basically do the show without a net. Yes. Yeah. I mean, guys, we've hit well over 200 episodes. Now we need to challenge ourselves a little bit, you know? So, so without any chance to research or whatever, like, yeah, just bring, bring what you got and we'll, we'll uh, talk about it. And the title that he brought, well, you'll find out next week. It's, um, it's, it's, it's fucking wild. So (laughs) it, uh, yeah, it is a very special episode. You talk about not knowing how people are going to react. I have no fucking idea how people are going to react to this. Um, but we really got what we asked for when we invited Ben Meckler onto the show to create a little bit of chaos. So um, look forward to that, folks. 
Yep. And uh, then this Friday on our Patreon, we are doing a big news roundup that uh, focuses on, say, the newest rumors on what's going on with Gary Doberman Salem's Lot, the Welcome to Dairy getting pushed, um, and all the uh, the new book announcements with uh, You Like It Darker being announced as new short story collection. So mm-hmm. we cover all that in depth with our good friend Ryan Scott, who you'll know as a writer at Fangoria.com and Slash Film. He's a colleague of mine over at Slash Film. Um, and uh, he he came in last time to to help us with the new stuff because that's his beat. That's what he does every day, you know, all day, every day. So he he has some some good insights on to you know how we can read between the lines on some of these rumors and announcements mm-hmm. and what's left out and all that stuff. Uh, so we figured it was time. It, it, it there was a lot of Stephen King news in the last like week or so. So uh, this Friday on our Patreon, it will be a news roundup with us and Ryan Scott. And if you want to listen to that, go to Patreon.com/slash/TheKingCast and sign up. Yes, indeed. Yes. And uh, I think that does it for this week. That's it. We'll see y'all next week for the mystery ambush title with Mr. Ben Meckler. And then this Friday on a Patreon to talk about some Stephen King news shit. Adios, folks. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly.